The number one reason why we are depressed and anxious as a society is because we're lonely. One in three Americans who have no friends to confide in. Can you imagine that you have 2,000 followers on Instagram, but you have no one to call when you're struggling? Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher, and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. Hi, sweet friends, and welcome to today's episode of Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I am so blessed to be in the studio with one of my best friends, one of the humans who I admire more than anyone else, a human who gets more done in a week than most of us get done in our entire effing lives. I am so excited to find out her why and to share with you her lifelong commitment to belonging, to community, to helping people to eradicate loneliness. And so please help me welcome to the show the amazing, the resplendent, the co-founder of Daybreaker, the mother extraordinaire, the woman who's been on tour with Oprah, the woman who makes more magic, and mischief than anyone I've ever seen, Radha Agrawal. Yeah. Cue the studio audience. <laughs> wow. You are good at this. Radha. <laughs> you are so beautifully eloquent. Thank it's, you. I'm blushing. It's true. <laughs> so I know that you have spent your life, like many decades, dedicated to eradicating loneliness, dedicating to building community around you. You wrote a whole beautiful book called Belong. You have been making sober morning dance parties through Daybreaker for 13 years now, 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, decade, all while having a child. Like, I, like you said, you were on tour with Oprah with a toddler, activating people, getting people into their hearts. And so I'm fascinated today to understand, I've never seen anyone that creates at the rate that you create. I always say like you create at the rate of joy. <laughs> and I want to know like what motivates you? Like why do you drive so hard? Like what, because I see how hard you work. I know how much passion you put into this. And so I know that this is not just about like, it's not a surface motivation. This is much, much deeper. And so when I asked you that question, why isn't everyone blank, right? You immediately went to community. You immediately went to loneliness. Like, why isn't everyone prioritizing friendship? Why isn't everyone creating community? And so I'd love to understand how did you first get obsessed? Because I would call you obsessed <laughs> <laughs> with eradicating loneliness and prioritizing community. You know, I think for me, when I looked at every social issue that exists on the planet, from gun violence to political polarization to the obesity epidemic to our environmental degradation to just literally every single social issue that we deal as a human species, what I recognized, what I realized was underneath each and every one of those social issues was our lack of belonging, mm. was that our sense of loneliness was making us take too many opioids. Our sense of loneliness, our lack of belonging was making us shoot each other in schools. Our sense of loneliness was really what was underlying, again, every every issue we face as a species. And so, um, so instead of tackling each of those problems as Band-Aid sort of solutions, like let's get to the root of the problem. And let's, if we can actually magnetize belonging for every single human on the planet mm -hmm. and do it with joy and play and connection and not this pathologized sort of like mental health issue, something's wrong with you, but do it in a way that's fun and joyful and you're dancing your way to that deep sense of wholeness. 
then I feel like, um, A, it's really fun for me to do that. And it's, it's always energizing. And B, I can't think of something more important to do with my own life and my own time. So were you lonely growing up? Like I, I have this, this story <laughs> that I've hypothesized that I can't believe I've never asked you, but like, did you grow up not having friends or being the outcast? Because this feels like a deep, dharmic mission for you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think also just, I mean, my father's from India, um, you know, from Varanasi, India. My mother's from Tokyo, Japan, just outside Tokyo. So both of them came to America with literally no English as their first language, like no friends, no family. And they basically started, you know, in Canada where we grew up in Montreal <clears throat> with literally not a single relative. So they had to build community for themselves. Yeah. So I think for me, the deep passion of that came from this sort of feeling that, wow, my parents had to build, I, I basically watched them build community from scratch. Yeah. I watched them learn English as their second language. I watched them build their family, right? Their chosen family around me. And so I never grew up with cousins nearby. I never grew up with family members, like aunts and uncles. It was always my nuclear family, just the three girls and my parents. And because the three of us, I have a twin sister, Mickey, of course, as one of our, you know, my, my, Best, best friend in the whole world and my other sister Yuri who I'm actually becoming closer and closer with now as we get older all three of us were kind of you know we were born in one year all three of us you know my mom had three kids in less than one year whoa you know so we're Irish triplets and so my mom and dad didn't really have time for individually connecting with each of us they were just like too busy putting one bottle in one mouth next mouth next mouth one baby's crying the next baby next diaper you know so I think maybe growing up, it was a mix of not having any family, kind of relative, blood relatives in where I grew up, yeah. um, mixed with also growing up in a family where my parents were in survival mode. They didn't have also enough money. We grew up very lower middle class. And so <clears throat> we never had the funds to have a nanny or support. So my mom was just running herself into the ground. My dad was working all day as an aerospace engineer. Um, so paying half his paycheck for Pampers, you know, mm -hmm. literally. Um, so, so I think, you know, I just grew up really feeling that immigrant kind of, we came to America with no relative, just starting the American dream. Um, and I think what was in the balance, you know, beyond obviously the hope of a better future was our sense of belonging, our sense of community. Mm. Well, I want to share some stories because I remember one time at Burning Man, you were up on an art car <laughs> and I had been to Burning Man many times before, but always like with smaller camps or always a little bit felt on the outskirts. And I was like, oh, how do you get on art cars? And like, <laughs> who, who invites you and how does that happen? And I remember looking up at you when you're on this like second floor of this art car. And those of you who have not been to Burning Man, there's like moving art installations. Um, and they go like five miles an hour across the playa dust. And you said, Emily, do you want to come <laughs> join us? And it was, it was so heart open. It was such as maybe for you a small act, but it was a, such a big deal mm. to me that you really made me feel a sense of belonging. It's me, <laughs> I know. It's me great. Because it, it can be such a tiny act that can have such a profound impact on someone's life. And I just left um, Mind Valley University and I was there with Vishen, our mutual friend. And Vishen grew up, I think, quite lonely. You know, he's very intelligent. He was very much othered. And he was at university. I can't remember where, MIT, Stanford, somewhere. And he said, he felt like the outcast. He felt like the loner. Yeah. And he was walking across campus one day and this like hot model engineer guy was surrounded by beautiful women. And Vision was walking by alone. And the guy stopped, looked up and said, hi, Vision," And just remembered his name, said hello. 
and and they just reunited for the first time in 25 years when oh. I was just with him last week. And he remembered that story. He told a whole group of us that story, brought him up on stage and told that story because a seemingly small act really opened up his wow. heart and changed the course of his life. And I, I don't think that we understand, like those of us who are privileged enough to have friends, to have family, really understand what it feels like, like the, the oppression, the weight, the fear of loneliness and one tiny act can truly change someone's life. And that changed my burn. Like it changed that week, which definitely changed the course <laughs> of my life. And so, and that's just one microcosm, but you do that all day, every day. Um, so thank you for that. Wow. That, that was really touching to yeah. hear. And I think that's the whole opportunity here. You know, why I'm excited to be on the show together with you is that we don't have to wait for the invitation. We can actively invite each other to join and, and you can actively say, can I come? You can actively, you know, sort of, um, yeah, just be inclusive. And, um, and I think we can live in such a sort of, um, cancel culture, very clicky world that just these small opportunities that happened to me too all my life where people would invite me in and I would feel like, wow, I felt so much gratitude for that person who brought me in. For example, entrepreneurship, I didn't even know it existed until I was 22. I thought that doctor, lawyer, as an you know, Indian and Japanese daughter, I thought that was the only path. And so entrepreneurship was very much an introduction to me after, like in my early 20s, where I got to really know that that was possible by a friend of mine, Graham Hill, mm -hmm. um, who was one of our first friends. Um, he founded treehugger.com. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, he's a, he's a dear friend of mine. And he really showed my sister and I another way forward. And I, I always, I mean, whenever I see him, I always thank him. And I always say, hey, Graham, like you... Yeah, really put me on another path to see that I could be a creative while also building a business, while also being in service, you know? And so I, I thank him for that every time I see him. Well, you can't be something if you can't see something, right? And and you create what you want to be and see in the world. And you do it again. You create at the rate of joy. <laughs> and so I just want to people to understand like the magnitude and the breadth with which you are creating. So if people don't know Daybreaker, it's a sober morning dance movement in how many cities now? 31 cities. 31 cities across the globe. So people can come together, start their day with joy, <laughs> dance, community, and it's all sober so you can get the joy and high of going out clubbing but without waking up smelling like cigarette smoke or being hungover, which is amazing. Also, you um, you created our women's group. It's just, there's seven of us, seven or eight of us. We meet about once a That's month. Right. <laughs> and like that, so Daybreaker is this global community, which is one sense of belonging. But then there's a very different sense of belonging that happens from the intimacy that's created with a small group. Also, you created something called Wow, It's Now, and you bring people to these wild <laughs> locations around the earth. I had the amazing fortune of going to Antarctica last year. And, and that was like a dream within a dream. And then you just took people to Egypt. You're taking people to Africa and all on top of running a company. I know you're starting a new belonging center. A nonprofit. A yeah. nonprofit and being a mom. So so we're going to talk about loneliness and belonging for sure. But I do want to understand, like, can you just give me a window into like the inner workings of quite literally how, how are you creating so much in this quickly? You know, I think, first of all, it's about team. Thank you so much for the beautiful share. Um, you know, I think it's really all about teams. I think it's all about motivation. I think everybody is feeling this sort of post-pandemic 
sort of sense of I want to create, I want to be part of something, I want to, I want to belong. So Wow It's Now, for example, came from sort of this bucket list that um, I wrote during COVID. And actually Wow It's Now came, the actual concept of Wow It's Now came from a Joe Dispenza meditation retreat where for a week I gave myself the gift of meditation just for a whole week. And by the way, Ziva, if everyone hasn't done it, go do it. Why is everyone doing Ziva? Why is everyone doing Ziva for real? (laughs) Um, but really giving myself that gift of meditation um, allowed for this sort of message to come through from the planet Earth and from, you know, Mama Mama Gaia, who said to me, you know, wow, it's now. Wow, it's now. Like, this is the moment, Radha, for you to be in service of me, to help me, to help gather the most influential voices in the world to come to these tender places of the planet so we can bring awareness, we can bring funding, we can bring um, storytelling, um, uh, to these places. And so that was kind of this beginning. Um, and then during COVID, I wrote down this bucket list of all these places I want to go, you know, that we were like sort of all stuck at home and kind of pulled a bunch of friends, like, where would you guys want to go? Um, you know, once we get out of the jail cell of our, of our, you know, homes and apartments. And so, you know, Antarctica and all these, you know, Egypt, and all these places began coming through. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, we can both build a deeply impactful service oriented journey um, that both tackles all these different needs, right? The, the need for connection where all these humans want to meet and gather and let's get all of our friends together to go to tender places of the planet. But let's also do this in a way that can raise millions of dollars for climate change, that could raise millions of dollars for new climate startups. Um, so, you know, I look at, when I think of things that light me up and that make me go fast, it's really things that feel like win, 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 you know, sort of conscious capitalism as John Mackey talks about. It's sort of what can feel like a win, 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 win for all the stakeholders in the experience. And um, I think at the end of the day, if you can create, you know, I create from a place of depth and play. If I can, if, if for me, if I can live at the intersection of depth and play and everything I create, it lives the intersection of depth and play. So it's like both deep and you're excavating and you're going deep and you're, you know, getting to know yourself and you're facing yourself and all of that. But if it's just that, it can be exhausting, right? It can just be exhausting. So it needs the play. It needs the levity. It needs the dance. It needs the color. It needs the glitter. It needs the party. It needs, you know? So if we can live at the intersection of depth and play, that's how I'm creating the speed of light, as you say. You know, it's because I... It's so much fun because I'm learning so much about myself and I'm also fist pumping at life at the same time, right? So I think that's that's also a big lesson for for me and, and when I share to all experienced designers and community builders that I teach, it's really all about how do you marry these two worlds together because then you build loyal community following. People want to keep coming back if it's fun and it's deep. If it's just fun after a while, I'm like, all right, I want some more meaning. If it's just deep, I'm exhausted, right? So you you... I, the, the the way to create a lasting community over time is by really living at the intersection of these two. Okay, so this reminds me of the first and only time I ever did ayahuasca. We did Aya on the first night, and on the second day we did San Pedro. So it was the grandmother and the grandfather. And Aya is very much like a, a purgatory. You know, there's actual literal purging, and it's quite 
deep. You know, especially your first few times can be quite an excavation. But then the San Pedro is like filling you with joy. Mm. It's like you carve out all of this space and then you fill it with play and dance and joy. I think I had a three-hour energy orgasm this day because <laughs> I made so much space in my body. And so I love this intersection. Yes. You're right. Like it can get like too sad and right. boring and like then you don't ever want to, you're just only going to therapy all the time. Right. Like, What's the point? Or if you're just doing drugs and partying all exactly. the time, it's like, wait, you might be avoiding. But this that's intersection, right. this feels… Right? That's yeah. the juice. Like that's actually where the juice of life exists. Yeah. Right? It's funny that you said ayahuasca. I've been, you know, of course, like I've been in this space for the last, you know, 15, 20 years of just like transformation and and a consciousness, um, you know, living and, and teaching. Um, but I've never been called to it until now. And Lynn Twist, who is almost 80 years old, is currently in Amazon as we speak right now. She was one of the first ones to go and make kind of contact with the indigenous tribe that are taking care of the headwaters of the Amazon, the most biodiverse place on planet Earth. And she uh, is taking us um, this New Year's to do our first ISIT to really blast off and really learn from the planet even more deeply what how we can dharmically be in beautiful connection and relationship with her. Yes. So I feel really excited about the belonging piece and the community piece that we can have, not just human to human, but human to planet, human to ecosystem, human to animal. Yes. And that's where I get really excited to continue kind of growing um, the aperture of belonging, right? This feels so, so exciting. And thank you for pointing your very powerful lens and your very powerful engine on both community, but also how we can re- reconnect with the planet. And for anyone who does not know Lynn Twist, like, please check out her work. She is a living saint, the soul of money, living a committed life. She and I are, we're all in a group called the Transformational Leadership Council together. And she's just such a special human. Oh my God. She's worked with like some of the most incredible you know, leaders from Desmond Desmond Tutu to Mother Teresa to some of these most amazing humans. And yeah, and I think also to have mentorship from, you know, sort of a woman who has those, that type of wisdom is something I've been also craving and looking for. So to have found her, um, you know, in my, in my forties has just been such a delight and such a, a deep sort of you know, um, new opportunity to find someone that I, I really want to learn from. Oh, yeah. Yes. Good for you. <laughs> I mean, mentorship, that's a, a form of belonging. Yes. Like we, you were always looking at, you know, I think everyone's an expert now. Everyone has a social media channel. Totally. Everyone has so much to say, but when are we listening? When are we receiving the wisdom from the elders? And so I want to really celebrate you for one, having that prayer and mm. calling in such a wise, wise human Gosh. as a mentor. And, and that's a way I think that you know, regardless of what where you are in your life, it's a way to contribute. It's a way to either open yourself up to receiving wisdom or perhaps creating belonging by offering that and offering whatever you're an expert in to mentor someone else. I mean, it's, equal, equal, it's an equal energy exchange as well, right? I mean, we just raised $125,000 for Pachamama Alliance as well. So in receiving the gift of just feeling into, you know, as we're, we're just getting to know each other as well. So it feels like we're just scratching the surface, but just the gift of knowing that there's someone like her who just lives with such commitment in her life and who yeah. lives with such devotion to the planet and and the humans that she's supporting, Um has made me want to be a better person, has made me want to contribute more to all of these um, uh, sort of things that she's a part of. So I was like the most excited when I called her. I was like, Kay, I have a surprise for you. We just raised $125,000 in Egypt on the Nile River at our auction. I want to give, I want to give you um, uh, 
$125,000 of that auction winning earnings. And, yes. and she was like, she couldn't believe it. And so it just felt like I get to return a small piece of what I feel um, from the inspiration I've got from her. You know? oh, beautiful. So, so I want to bring us back to this idea of of loneliness. Like why isn't everyone prioritizing community? Why isn't everyone building community? Um, because we we all went through I mean, to varying degrees, but the pandemic was like was like a loneliness overload. You know, we all got so isolated. We got so afraid. Even walking down the streets, you're like, oh, it was just the othering with vaccines and masks and everyone became an, a potential enemy, right? Like not even on purpose, but like, are you going to make me sick? Totally. Am I going to make you sick? Am I going to hurt you? It was this, this dialogue running in the background of the mind and it's almost impossible to open your heart to someone when you're simultaneously afraid that you might hurt them or that they might hurt you, which is certainly the narrative that we were all swimming in for years. And just the the neuro programming that, that happened during that, that I think the fact that you have then like come out even stronger and even more committed, like one, what do you think was the impact of the loneliness that people encountered during the pandemic? And two, how is that informing what you're doing now? So first of all, I think the pandemic has shown us how important community is. Yeah. So I think on the other side of that loneliness is this deep yearning and recognition of the importance of friendship and community, mm. right? So that's, I think that's the, the good side of what came out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. What The bad side that came out of the pandemic was the fact that we realized that actually our illness, our death, our ability to, to recover from sickness is deeply impacted by the people around us or the lack thereof. Yeah. So people who are alone in their hotel room or in their hospital rooms dying of COVID, these lonely deaths, you know, there's all these studies that show that you actually can recover faster when you get visitation from friends at the hospital. Mm. Literally, there's fat, there's there's research that shows that the more visitors you have at the hospital, the faster you recover. Wow. So the fact that in this year and a half period where we were literally couldn't visit our loved ones, we are truly going against the biology of our bodies because humans were born from another human. We are spectacularly social creatures, mm. right? We are born and we thrive in community and connection. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's already wild stats before the pandemic. One in four Americans have zero friends to confide in. This number has tripled in the last 30 years. And then post-pandemic, that number went to one to three Americans who have no friends to confide in, right? Can you imagine not having a friend to call? That you have 2,000 followers on Instagram, but you have no one to call when you're struggling, mm. right? And so, you know, it also turns out that having poor social connections is as harmful to your physical health as being an alcoholic yeah, can and you twice say, as harmful as obesity. Okay, so just, I want to really underline these because I think that people think that loneliness is like, oh, like kind of like meditation. That's like a mental phenomenon. Like, oh, meditation is good for my brain. They don't understand how it impacts the body. I don't think that people understand the physiological, physical harmful effects of loneliness. So can you just like hit us with this one more time? Okay. So when your body's feeling lonely or left out, first of all, it can feel as painful as having a broken bone. First of all, it also sets off a cellular chain reaction in your body that makes you sicker. Right. And so the lonelier we are, the sicker we are. And so I'll say it again, having poor social ties is as harmful to being an alcoholic and twice as harmful as obesity. So our sense of loneliness is truly debilitating our physical, biological 
bodies. Isn't that wild? That is wild. And then because the question you ask, why isn't everyone blank? Why isn't everyone prioritizing friendship and community, right? In this case, why isn't everyone prioritizing friendship and community both for their own health, their biological health, their sense of sort of safety, right, in this sort of body that we're living in, Um, not to mention – the loneliness epidemic is also something that we don't think of is the leading cause of mental health, yeah. right? And so, and so, um, I, there's so much to unpack here. But it's you know, it's it's if you look at it, the number one most impactful reason why we are depressed and anxious as a society is because we're lonely. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this big, embarrassing, sort of humiliating um, feeling of, of of sort of admitting that you're lonely, yeah. right? There's, there's, so people sort of have such a hard time saying, I'm lonely, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm just having mental health issues, but I'm fine. It's sort of easier to say that I'm having mental health issues than saying I don't have any friends or I'm lonely. Yeah, right? it feels like it harkens back to two things. One being like the high school, nobody wants to be the outcast. Nobody yes. wants to be the loser in high school. Yes. No one wants to admit that maybe I'm not in the cool kids club or exactly. maybe I didn't get invited in. But also I think it goes back deeper than that when we when our survival, like actually our physical survival was dependent on the tribe. And if we got ostracized, then it, it did mean death. I think it's why people's fear of public speaking is actually greater than their fear of death because death feels further away versus like, oh, if, if I get on stage and, and they don't like this, I I could get kicked out of the tribe and and I probably will live, but I'll I'll be alone for the rest of my life. And it feels more like the threat that feels more tangible. And so that makes sense that I would not want to admit that I'm lonely because one, I feel like a loser from high school. Exactly. That trauma. And two, I might die. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so, and that's the thing, like having interviewed and spoken to maybe thousands and thousands and thousands of community members at Daybreaker, you know, I learned that there's people don't want to admit, exactly like you said, people don't want to admit that they're lonely. And so I instituted at Daybreaker this hugging committee at the door. So every time you come into a Daybreaker, you we have a hugging committee. And we actually even do kind of non-creepy hugging workshops, which yeah. are, you know, you know, you get the creepy yeah. hugs and it doesn't feel good. Anyway, there's so- There's also the heart to heart. There's like a way to heart really to heart, hug it's well. Really if you open your arms up versus like coming in weird, it's like there's so many ways to make the hug experience feel much more inviting. Anyway, so- consensual. Yeah, consensual and warm. So doesn't want one, no problem. High five. Thank you for taking care taking care of yourself, no problem. Um, but when someone comes in for a hug, and I've hugged now tens of thousands of people at Daybreak over 10 years of doing this. I, I probably hug three to 400 people at the door at the at every single event that I'm wow. at. You know, that's part of what I do. And and the number of emails and, and DMs and tearful thank yous at the end of a daybreaker that I received from our community members who shared how much that hug has meant to them and how much they have not received a hug in weeks or months or how they haven't had a friend with whom they could talk to about this and that hug, just that reassuring hug for me, help them share with their family that they were gay or or walk them off the ledge of suicide or walk them. I mean, it just, you can't even imagine, Emily, how much we are st- 
starved for touch and affection. In addition to our loneliness, we are, we, you know, physically, we need the oxytocin from the touch. That's one of our happy neurochemicals, right? I call it your dose, your dopamine, your oxytocin, your serotonin, your endorphins, your four happy neurochemicals spells out the word dose. We can dose ourselves just on each other's natural connection. The high of being in community, the high of dancing, the high of being in relationship can release our four happy neurochemicals, our dose naturally, right? And so so these are all the sort of, you know, when you look at all of this constellation of science around science of happiness, the, the science of our own biology as it relates to how we thrive as human beings, how our system thrives with touch and connection and, and, and belonging, all of this to me is why I think it, there's truly the nothing more important than community and belonging and why aren't we prioritizing it? Yeah, I tell you why. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's talk why. about why aren't we? Because, because it feels so like a no-brainer. Because America has prioritized our professional careers and our romantic relationships far more importantly than our friendships. Mm. Right? Let me say that one more time. You think that's just America? I think the whole world. The whole world prioritizes that white picket fence, that wedding, white wedding experience with the tuxedo and the friends and the, right, that whole experience of like being a bride and the family and all of that. And we've also beautifully idolized this idea that once we have the professional of our, profession of our dreams, then we can figure out everything else. But actually what I did and what I've, what I've, what I share and what now I've seen success stories across thousands of people is that once we move our priorities around and actually prioritize friendships, relationships, community over our romantic relationships and our professional careers, all of a sudden you begin to see that your friends introduce you to an aligned romantic partner. Your friends support you in building the the the, the business of your dreams. Like I launched Thinks with my twin sister on Kickstarter, which is a community fund, you know, funded platform where your friends help you kickstart your your dream idea. And you know, had we not had a group of friends with whom to support this fundraiser, we would never have sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars that we did a few years ago, right? Yeah. So we don't same realize, with Daybreakers, right? I mean, obviously, yes. it's a social thing, but it's like your friends and Daybreaker, friends. I mean, and, and Daybreakers, it's whole thing. I mean, Daybreaker, I was throwing parties at my apartment for free. And this is what I was going to share is like sort of here's a prescription for how to make friends. But essentially for me at 30 years old, when I didn't feel like I didn't belong, I woke up when I was going to my 30th birthday party with my sister and I was like, everyone who keeps coming to my 30th birthday party. And it's hard to believe like where we are today and where we are in our friendship, Emily. But it's like at 30, this is, you know, just 14 years ago, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, everyone that's coming to my birthday has shit talked to me or I don't feel safe with, or they're just living these sleepwalky lives where they're sleepwalking through life. They're not actually going deep in their relationships. They're not, they're not sucking the marrow out of life. I want to suck the marrow out of life, you know? And, and I realized I had all these compartmentalized relationships, right? My workout friends, my party friends, my professional friends, and they were all compartmentalized. And I was like, I want to build a community where I could party with them. I could be inspired together. We could build each other up. We could we could adventure together. We, we can work out together. And they're all being one. And, and it's not just me because if I can do that, I'm going to find friends who will be down 
to do that with me. And then I found you and other friends and all these incredible humans in my life with whom I want to do all of these things with. And we don't have to compartmentalize anymore. Mm -hmm. But it was the beginning of this journey of I don't need to be a victim of my own life. I don't have to wait for the invitation. I can create it for myself, for my community. That was the big aha that I now am teaching all across the country and the world. It's like you can be the queen of your own ship, the queen of your own fate and start putting together a weekly women's circle like I did with you, or I put together a modern mamas on WhatsApp, which is a community of mothers. You know, when I became a mom, I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) So I just like invited like 20 women on a WhatsApp thread and I was like, Hey, how are you both the founder and CEO and running epic shit? And also, you know, pregnant and doing the mom thing. Like, what are you doing? And how are you doing it? And how are you finding balance? And how are you not killing your husband? And how are you, <laughs> right? And and so, so, you know, all of a sudden, just, I realized like, wait a minute, I don't have to wait and be a victim of this hormonal pregnancy. I can go and start my own community. So for all the moms listening out there, I dare you to start a WhatsApp group and invite 10 women on and have them be your support group. Because we forget that women, we have all the answers. Now in our Modern Mamas group, we have, if someone asks a question, I don't know about my lactation, there's 50 responses that come almost immediately because you have a distributed set of knowledge of women who can now share with you their own experience instead of one book with one mom who's telling you one experience that she's had. Yeah. Now you have a distributed group of women across the world, across the country who can share with you their wisdom. So there's so many benefits to starting your community and not being afraid to have no one show up. Yeah. Right? Like maybe two people will come to the first one. Who cares? What's the big deal? Now you have a community of three that's better than zero. Yeah. Right? And, so and I definitely want to like get into the like, yeah. how do we start to build? But I want to underline this, what you just said of like, why isn't everyone doing this? Because I mean, that's one, the name of the show. But I want people to understand that it we're swimming in a soup that we can't even really see. And it is this relentless prioritization of productivity. It is this relentless prioritization of money and productivity and career and performance. And like, look, this is coming from a woman who basically rebranded meditation (laughs) as a performance tool. Like, you know, so I get it. I did it. I was part of it. And I think that the frequency on the planet is changing. We are moving out of this like hyper-performance driven era and we are moving more into one of magnetism and alignment and receptivity and symbiosis with the planet. And part of that will come from community. Like it is moving from more masculine into more feminine, which does not necessarily mean male or female, but it is like there is something that happens from that feminine communal sharing versus the like linear hunting. Right? Yeah, and I think to name also the fact that there are very sort of disconnecting technologies that are coming through, like AI technology, yep. that'll make it easier for us to be friends with a robot than it would be to make friends and have difficult conversations. Well, yeah, that's what I want to ask you. What's someone, your prediction for AI? Yeah, and how I that think will that we have to be extremely vigilant about not using AI as a band aid to be able to just be in kind of in this sort of utopian world that we create for ourselves and not actually... Wait, what does that mean? Why would we so need I think a it'd be so, so, you know, I think a lot of people aren't in relationships. They're single because it's harder to be in a relationship. It's harder to make friends. It's sometimes like, I'm working on myself. I'm good. I'm working on myself. And I get caught up in my own self-work. So I don't need to, you know, I don't need to be with anyone else because I'm working on myself. I'm loving myself. And I fell in love with myself. And I'm good. But you're just living. You work on yourself so you can better relate to others, right? Mm-hmm. As every yoga, real meditation teacher will tell you, including you, is we work on ourselves to better relate to each other as human yeah, beings. we meditate to get good at we life. We meditate to get good at life 
And what is life? Life is relationships. At the end of life, one of my friends, she did a whole death um, art project where she interviewed thousands of people at their deathbed, asking them what was the single most important thing that they wish they spent more time on, mm-hmm. and the single most important thing that was meaningful to them. And it was, of course, their relationships and their friendships. And they wish they had more time for friendships and relationships. They, they wish that they had forgiven the friends that they matter to them mm-hmm. and they just canceled them because of their pride. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was literally mostly about friendships and relationships. And yet, why isn't everyone prioritizing their friendships and relationships? Yeah. Because of this pathological need to succeed, yeah. right? To win. And we live in this win-lose society as well mm-hmm. where, um, and I think you're you're right. I think that there's this divergent world that's forming where one side of the world is going towards side of higher consciousness and let's find more balance and connection and relational, you know, divinity. And this other side that is like, you know, that sort of the initial building blocks of the cryptoverse and the AI world, which is very transactional in nature. Every single thing is a transaction Mm. that can be sort of, um, it's a very masculine, it's a bunch of men, a lot of men in this space coding this world that every single thing that I do has a transaction connected to it. Mm. And yes, our NFT supporting artists to be able to understand where the value is coming from. I think there's a, a lot of beauty in that, um, in democratizing the art world more meaningfully for the artists themselves. But I think to build a world where we're not giving gifts just for the sake of giving gifts. We're not just that every single thing needs to be transacted upon Mm. that has some type of a, uh, what do you call it? Um, Ledger. Ledger that, that sort of follows that transaction to me, isn't the consciousness that I'm looking for, right? I want to find another way forward. So this, there is this divergent path. I see a V-shaped universe that half the world be living in goggles and VR headsets and haptic gaming vests and feeling belonging in this sort of third world. And then there's this other group that that are deeply focusing on how to heal our planet, how to heal consciousness, how to heal each other. And this is the world that I'm hoping that we all live in. This is the world that I'm hoping that we build for because that other side, you're losing four out of your five senses. You're losing the sense of this sixth sense, the sense of energy, right? There are energies, human beings are, is our most potent, juicy, extraterrestrial kind of starburst of sense that you can't get, you can't get from a haptic gaming vest or a VR headset. And so I just keep reminding everyone who's in that world don't forget about energy. Don't forget about the warmth of the human hand when you hold each other. Don't forget about the gaze that we get to have with each other when we look at each other and we cry tears of joy like we just did for the first three minutes of this interview, you know? And and so that's that's the juice that that I feel like is the most meaningful of being a human being. And it's that sense of belonging that takes us there. Mm-hmm. And to me, the highest consciousness that we can have as a species, as a human being, is to be in the depth of that eye gaze with each other. Mm-hmm. And that comes when we feel that safety and that we feel that surrender mm-hmm. um, yes. in, in that sense of belonging. Amen. Amen. From your lips to goddesses' ears. <laughs> Let's not forget the energy, the human touch, eye gaze, like these incredible technologies, these gifts that nature has given us. And I think we're 
my hypothesis is that there will be a hybrid and that we're going to have to not of course, other it. Of and, course. And how do we integrate it of to course. create, just like with the internet, you know, like I'm sure people thought they're like, oh, we're all going to disappear, but to find our phones and computers. And we no, did I think and we AI have. Can be hugely supportive in actually answering the questions like, yes. hey, chat GBT, I just had a big fight with my friend. What is the what do you what do you think I should do to repair with her? And then the entire internet gets to be crawled to find the best answers. Hey, Chat GBT, I'm I'm having a, a sit-down meeting with my boss to ask for this and the other thing. Um, can you help me have a more thoughtful conversation with that, with with her or him? Right. Actually, so I just sudden, saw that our your former brother-in-law, he was asking ChatGPT, like, what is orgasm? And it was like, oh, it's a physiological sensation where hormones are released and oxytocin and endorphins and norepinephrine. And he said, Oh, isn't it also a way to connect to source? And ChatGPT was like, Yes, absolutely. There's a very much a spiritual recognition of orgasm and in many traditions that orgasm has been seen as a portal to God and a portal to opening. And, and so I love this conversation that's that's happening. Yes. And actually I have a podcast we're launching with a guy named Jerry, who's fascinating, who's building his own AI. And he actually believes that AI is going to, if we use it correctly, and if we are compassionate with it, and if we infuse it with our own heart and with our own morals and ideals, that it has the potential to really help us on these goals, like climate change, that he thinks like the big three um, threats to the species, one, climate change, two, disease, and three, uh, asteroids, the climate change could help us with that. And it will help us actually enter an age of abundance. So it's, it's fascinating. Like none of us know. But what's underneath those three things or what's underneath, I, to me, it's our sense of belonging. I actually really believe that underneath our environmental degradation is we don't belong there. We don't care about the planet. Therefore we don't care to degrade it. Right. And so mm -hmm. I actually think there's a that the fourth piece to that is yeah. that there's disease environment the environment asteroids, and I would say also our sense of unity as a species, our sense mm. of connection mm. with each other, right, and how we can be in relationship, not just again human to human, but human to environment ecosystem. Mm. So I really dare say to this to this man that you're speaking of that unless we find a much more conscious path to relating to one another and one another meaning again human to human, human to species, human to the planet, planet mm -hmm. um, we're not going to care, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. so. I mean, well, that's, I mean, that's happening now yeah. with the seven hottest days on planet Earth. And the lonelier we are, the less we care. And the less we care, right, which is what's happening right now, the more apathetic we are, the more, you know, so it's like, it's, like it's, it's all this downward spiral that's mm -hmm. happening right now. And, and I just feel like if we just got everyone to connect with each other and learn how to repair ruptures and learn how to, you know, prioritize friendships and relationships and, and really make sure you don't cancel on each other, make sure that you don't cancel each other, you know. Um, but I do understand like drawing the line between, happier. so let's say I have a sense of belonging. Let's say I have an amazing community. Let's say I have healed myself from loneliness and I've you know, I've really taken the time to prioritize my relationships and to create community. How does that, or how do I go from that place to then connecting with the planet, doing what I can to move towards drawdown, to start to create a regenerative planet? Totally. I mean, I think step one is we be living in a less depressed and less anxious society. And when we're depressed and anxious, we can't see anything but our own depression and our own anxiety. So we're stuck in this endless loop of self yeah. versus I don't have Service. energy to contribute because I'm correct. Drowning. Exactly. Yeah. So we are most of us living in this self 
self-inflicted pain of our depression and anxiety and myopic view of the world because we can only see our own traumas rather than be able to open the aperture and be in deep service of the planet. And that comes from belonging, mm. comes from feeling seen and reflected. It comes from, it just comes from wanting to live and wanting to exist in a better world. And so it's also deeply connected, Emily, right? It's like, you know, when, when we feel more deeply in connection with ourselves and our community members, we want to serve the planet. We want to serve each other. And so that's that to me is like sort of the kind of you reverse engineer all the opportunities here. This is to me the most important first step to mm -hmm. take. Like step zero to step one is like let's get people out of the myopic, anxious, depressed states of self so we can come back to each other, yeah. right? And humans are happiest in service of others. Yeah. Humans are happiest in service of others. And if you talk to almost any climate scientists, like they will say that the thing that we have to solve for is consciousness. It, it, we, we will not solve these problems without shifting consciousness. And this is probably why we're such good friends because exactly. I basically like dedicated the past 13 years of my life to teaching meditation for exactly this reason. Because it's like if people are swimming in their own stress, if they do not have the ability to change their own state of consciousness, then you will just keep repeating it. You know, Einstein exactly. said you can't solve a problem with the same state of consciousness with which it was created. So how do we give people the tools to have them change their own neurochemistry to start to meditate, to connect with source, to connect with nature, and then to create community and to create a sense of belonging. So listen to this. You're going to love this. So so I'm, I'm right now um, building our, our experiential um, itinerary experience, designing our Tanzania trip for the Serengeti this November. And I am currently interviewing lots of different nonprofits to give to for our auction in Tanzania. So what are all the nonprofits we can serve and support? And one of them is Save Our Elephants, Save the Elephants, the big nonprofit in Tanzania at the Serengeti. It's one of the most amazing nonprofits. Everyone should check it out. Save the Elephants. Um, the elephants are such a building block of all the ecosystem, right, in Tanzania. So when the elephants go, everything goes kind of thing. So I asked her, I'm like, so what are the big programs that we that you are supporting now with Save the Elephants? And the executive director and and this woman has been working on it for 25 years, dedicated her whole life to it, said to me, actually, we are now moving on to more um, community-based and folk and and relational initiatives because the more people don't care about the community, they're they're hunting for the tusks, they're hunting mm -hmm. for the ivory, they're hunting for the elephant. So we're now focusing more on belonging and community, yes. right, to save the elephants because we realize that actually that's a band-aid to the underlying issue, which is that people who don't care about the elephants don't care about themselves. They don't care about themselves because they don't have any friends or community. They don't belong yeah. to a community. They don't belong to a tribe or they don't feel the depth of the interconnectedness in the ecosystem of the elephants and the human beings are just looking short-term gains, not long-term benefits. Wow. And so we're seeing all these literal huge nonprofits beginning to now no longer focus on just saving the elephants and looking at where they are in the ecosystem and looking at how to save the plains, but actually who is contributing to the degradation of the planet, who is developing those parts of the planet that are not in service of elephants? Why are they developing there? Because they don't care. They just want to make money. Why are they not part of the community ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? That gives a shit about the entire um, not just about, again, the development of that place, but about the elephants, about the villages, about everyone in between, right? Mm. So 
So it was really unbelievable to, again, get another data point of, hey, if we all don't focus on ending loneliness, all of us together, it's going to take all of us. We are going to continue having issues for the rest of history until humans are extinct. Mm. Okay, so I feel sold. <laughs> and and I will say that I you've really changed my life in this way. Like I definitely have been historically, if I look at my life in my 20s, even in my in my 30s, you know, in my 20s, I was like prioritizing my job. Uh, I was like an actress, you know, I was auditioning and 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 theater's different because there is a built-in community. There is a family that's built into every show. So even though I was so myopic on my productivity and my achievement and my career. I had the built-in community of whatever show I was doing. So it allowed me to sort of get away with not prioritizing friendships and not- You didn't choose them. What do you mean? That's right. Like I was just you in, intentional. in a cast. You just were Correct. thrown into it. And that's just, what happens to most people at their companies, yep. at their jobs, everywhere. You just, get you just sort of stumble into these friend groups and fall into friendships yep. without being intentional. Do they align with my values? Do they align with my interests? Do they align with my abilities? Do they align with where I'm at today at 40 plus years old with a kid in this place, in this world? Right? So- we don't do that audit. Yeah. They, right? So some shows would be amazing. Other shows would be, uh, but you're right. I was like willing to roll the dice because I wasn't really making it a priority. And then even when I transitioned into starting Ziva, you know, I mean, becoming an entrepreneur, I, I had a BFA in musical theater. So like learning how to run a company, developing the world's first online meditation training. Like it was, there was a massive lift that I had to learn. And so I was just so myopic on growing the mission that I wasn't really prioritizing friendship. I wasn't prioritizing community. And, and now, now I have the opposite problem because we are such good friends and you do such an amazing job at it that I a little bit get to sit on my laurels and like reap the rewards <laughs> and bask in the fruits of your outrageous labor. Because honestly, like I don't have space more than what you create in our amazing community. And I just want to express my deep gratitude for you for like how much my life has changed. And to your earlier point, like who do you think is going to introduce you to the romantic partner? Who do you think is going to introduce you to the place that's going to give you an interview? It's going to be your friend group. And you have created this world-class group of creators, of entrepreneurs, of audacious thinkers, of people who are aligned and maybe we're not all best friends. Maybe we don't all like, like the same type of food, but there's a core hunger and hunger. thirst yes. for life and a core self-sufficiency so that we do have the capacity and the desire and the energy to contribute to the planet, to our missions, to whatever that is. And I feel so grateful to be a part of this community. I feel my, my life is so much more fun. It is so much richer because of directly because of the communities that you have built. And so I just want to extend my deep, deep gratitude. <laughs> I love you. And, and you are really, really special. And this is your mission and this is your dharma. And thank you. <laughs> And for everyone listening, I know that they're going to be inspired. I know that they're going to resonate with like, oh no, I have not been prioritizing friendships. Oh no, I have not been creating community. Oh, I don't want to be that lonely person. I know I want to start. But when I think about it, one of the things that stops me is the fear of rejection. Totally. It's scary. scary. It's so scary to like, 
And still to this day, like I'll throw a, you know, a birthday for my son or like have a dinner party. And I'm like terrified secretly that no one's going to come. And so how does someone get over that initial Mm. hurdle of that fear of rejection, that fear of vulnerability? And then I'd love for you to just like, as much as you're willing to open up your heart and head, like share how people can start to create community and prioritize friendship. Yeah. I mean, first of all, rejection is the greatest fear that most people have when they start community, which is why they wait for the invitation. And it's also scary to be a community leader as well, because you're the easiest person to cut down. And I've certainly been on the other side of, um, you know, negative comments as well. Um, if I didn't do a perfect job or if I forgot, you know, or if I missed someone by accident. Um, so, so what's wild is that all of life is a fear of rejection, mm-hmm. right? If you live that way, you know, you can't, I mean, so you, you know, like, why would we get out of bed if, if we, right? So, but, but to really unpack that concept, I think for me, it was just that, you know, when I started Daybreaker, um, I had this sort of concept. It's like, either I'm going to wake up early one day and no one's going to show up and I, I threw a party and five people came and thank you very much. I tried and that was it. Or it's going to be a smash success and we're going to change the world and, and, and change a sliver of time in the morning where instead of being sleeping you know, in your bed sleeping or on a treadmill by yourself, you're now with friends dancing your heart out with glitter on your face. So that moment, I'll just share that experience of it. It's just, it was just that, I remember that, that morning, it was the first snowfall in New York City. It was December 10th. It was 20, your first daybreaker? 2013, first snowfall, imagine, 6 a.m. And I'm like, no one's coming. <laughs> it's like snowing outside. It's the first ever morning dance party, sober, on a Wednesday. Like literally no one's coming. And so I just, I just looked at Matt, my partner, and I was just like, all right, um, hey, this was a fun idea. Maybe we could do it in the spring sometime or whatever. And we just laughed. And so um, so step one is instead of going at it alone, find one person maybe to do the thing with, to do a co- co-hosted birthday party with with Jasper, right? Like invite, I, I do co-host a birthday party with Soleil every year for that exact reason. Like maybe, you know, all the communities will come together and no matter what, their friends will come. <laughs> you know, mine don't for whatever reason, right? So co-host together. Have Find one person with whom you can host a birthday party together. That's what I started doing. Um, or with Daybreaker, I started with a, with a friend and we just created it together. So we looked at each other, we kind of laughed. I wasn't by myself twiddling my thumbs. I had someone else to kind of ruefully laugh with, you know, and just yeah. be like, okay. Just celebrate the success yeah. or, or the to failure. mourn the loss. Yeah. Either way, you're Either way if you have a buddy. Community. Yeah. And so I think so often we take on everything on our shoulders, especially women. It's like, I got to do everything. And, and by the way, it has to be perfect. And as an entrepreneur, I also learned that women need to have the perfect resume with like 10 years experience. Men need to have an idea and a napkin <laughs> to go and raise money. I'm not even kidding. And they go raise the money because they have this confidence and this chutzpah. And women are like, I got it. Like literally have 10 years. I need this like- Do you know, 10 more all, training, this, get more training. more certificates. Like, 10 certificates and I need to make this perfect. And, you know, just like get out there, get dirty. And I think I learned that maybe being Indian. I don't know, being Indian, Japanese, is like I, my, my Indian father was like, don't complain, create, don't complain, create. It was like always what he said to me. Like there's, we live in a world of so many complainers, like people just complain. So just don't complain, create. And then if it, worst case it happened, worst case it is there's no, such, oh, and then the other one was, there's no such thing as failure. There's only experiments, mm. right? There's no such thing, failure, only experiments. So I tried this birthday experiment, 
it didn't work. Next year, I'm going to do with a friend and maybe we'll be more successful. Or like I tried this dance party at Sunrise Experiment and it failed or it succeeded and let's try it again next time. And fortunately, with Daybreaker, it succeeded and 180 friends showed up at the very first one. And I just remember being like so floored by the dedication of our friends. But I spent two years cultivating that community in the first place. And Matt did as well. And so... So many of the friends that came that first one came because they wanted to support us and they wanted to be there for us. And again, like there's an example of a business beginning from the friends supporting it, right? Buying tickets. They didn't come for free. They bought, and I said to them, I'm like, look, we're, we got to pay for the DJ, got to pay for the venue. Like it's $25 per person. Can everyone contribute $25? Yeah. And everyone did, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, but that seems like an important point of like, letting because the community is not just about what you can receive from the community but what you can give and certainly in our modern mamas group like once you go through the fire of birth and postpartum and the intensity of becoming a mother it's a real initiation it's such a gift to be able to impart that wisdom to someone that's going through it it's why so many people give unrequited advice to pregnant women because it's like i want this initiation like i want to share my wisdom someone please listen exactly and so i think that that's an important ingredient as well is not just what you're receiving from the community but what what can people contribute to the community because that's how you're really going to feel like you're a part of it i probably learned totally i'm probably just (laughs) reciting your teachings back to you no and and also but I also think that I mean you said perfectly, but you know I had a I had a crucial conversation with a friend the other day. We had coffee. Oh, what conversation? A crucial conversation. What's that? A crucial conversation is uh, a a way to have a difficult conversation with a friend, but not have it be so tinged with this fear of like having the scary conversation to a point where you cancel or you can't do it or you're too afraid. Or you just end the friendship. Or you end the friendship or you run away. You run the skills. And by the way, 50% of first car- first time incarcerations happen from friends to friends, shooting each other, fighting, knifing each other, friends to loved ones, neighbors. It's people that we know. We don't know how to have the we don't have the tools to talk to each other. So we Whoa. end up knifing and killing each other. Yikes. 50% of first-time incarcerations happen from people that we know in our lives. So that's how poor our communication skills are in repair. Wow. Right? And so, so there's this book called Crucial Conversations that um, that one of my one of my leadership coaches gave to me, Dane Holowinski, shout out. Um, and the first thing that I learned from this book was that conversations that are difficult don't have to be scary that mm-hmm. I can I can turn them into playful things so actually I worked on it with well now I, it's so easy for me to do it I've, it's become such a muscle I'd be like Emily can we have a quick cruise I call it a cruise yeah. so it lightens it like give it something that's a little bit lighter versus like can we have a serious conversation about yeah. something I want to talk, talk to you about is like can we my so biggest fear scary thing, yeah <laughs> just tell me what, what the thing is, is. yeah he's like can we talk it's like oh my god what is it oh. so so having a crucial conversation is when you can say to someone hey can I have a cruise with you and 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 make it fun and 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 brief and and I always say that do it on a walk when you're moving your bodies mm. a somatic movement when you're you don't have to look you're in the eye like in this like super serious way you can both be looking forward walking together while having on the same side of the same table. side same side of the table exactly where you're walking together and you can make eye contact every once in a while you can stop to punctuate different feelings but you get to really express your feelings while moving the the energy through your body instead of sitting stagnant in a chair cool. so step one in a crucial conversation is try to do it moving step two is to just just to say like hey i want you to know that i i feel nervous right now this is scary for me to name it so it doesn't feel like you know this is very you know easy cuz it's not never is yeah crucial conversations are essentially a way to have repair conversations with someone in a way that feels 
supportive and um, in service of the relationship, not in a shamey, blamey, finger pointy kind of way. Yeah. So you care about this person. You want to have a repair in the relationship. Um, uh, yeah, let's, I think and then you have, have a somatic experience really of like, oh, conflict can lead to intimacy, deeper intimacy. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that these crucial conversations are part of the skill set that we need to get over the vulnerability of even inviting people to things. Exactly, yes. Well, I mean, yes, and it's it's sort of step one is the rejection that we feel that you named earlier, which I think is, is spot on, is that everyone feels scared of that. Um, I think how to get over that fear of rejection is just to know that life on the other side of not gathering the loneliness of that is going to actually biologically affect your body negatively. As mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, is as harmful to your health as being an alcoholic, yeah. as harmful as obesity. So which one would you prefer? <laughs> to yeah, take like, a chance yeah. at rejection, but maybe on the other side of it, you could end up having more friends and more abundance. Like what's on the other side of that rejection is like potential magic and unicorn and tons of just joy and, and excitement and depth and play in your life um, versus the other side of it, which is just like, I'm lonely and I'm alone. Yeah. So what's worse, rejection or loneliness? Yeah. And I actually really believe that loneliness is 10 times worse than rejection. I'd rather try again and again and again and again. And I have. I'm, I've started, I've had multiple failed businesses too. I've multiple failed friendships too. I've had multiple failed parties and events too, you know. Yeah. And um, the rejection is temporary. That loneliness is, it lasts. Yes. So, so let's say someone's listening and like for, for me, for example, in, when COVID hit, I had a group of like 24 friends in New York city, 23 of them left the city. And so honestly, like had I not like joined like your global community, like I would have been outrageously lonely. I was outrageously lonely. And I know that I'm not alone in that. Like so many people move. They went to see family, away from family. Like there's been this great relocation. So I know that there are many people out there listening or maybe they've changed their state of consciousness. They've started meditating. They started doing medicine work and they don't feel like they vibrate or resonate with their old friend group anymore. And they want to start to prioritize friendships. They want to create community. How would you recommend that someone starts like step one? Well, step one is I would audit the current constellation of the relationship that you're in right now. So I have in my book, actually, I wrote a book called Belong. So good. And there's a grid, I call it your axis of energy. So there's the x-axis and the y-axis. The x-axis is is, is high energy, low energy. The y-axis is negative, positive energy, right? And so just really first start by asking yourself, who in your life makes you feel shitty all the time? Mm. Who in your life makes you feel joyful? Um, also color code them by coworkers and family, friends. So you can begin to see, oh, my fr- family makes me feel really good, but my coworkers make me feel really bad. So you can see in this sort of constellation of relationships, what's working for you and what's mm. not. So you can know where you need to make a change in your life. Cool. So, but if you don't have anyone at all, forget this constellation even exists. Okay. Starting fresh, what I would do is first ask yourself, what do I value today? Do a via. It's an exercise that I have also in my book. It's called do your, write down your values, your interests, and your ability, your abilities. So I call it your via, your values, your interests, and your abilities. What are the values that you espouse today, that you care about today? Mm. And today for me as a new mother, where I'm at, you know, in my early 40s, being, you know, X, Y, and Z in New York City, the values that I care about today are different from when they were even three, four years ago before I had Soleil, my daughter, right? So, so 
every couple of years, you want to re-audit what are your values, what are your interests, and what are your abilities. Your values are things you care about today. What do you value? Your interests are what do you want to explore in the world, right? What do you care about? You care about meditation. You care about tantra. You care about pleasure. You care about joy. You care about, right? Like I, like I can I can share already like all so many of the constellations of your interests, right? And mm-hmm. your values. I already know, know being one of your best friends. I feel like I, I very much know so much of what you love. Yeah. And and you probably know so many, so many of mine. Mm-hmm. But the abilities piece is the big one around how you can begin showing up for your community, how you begin starting your community. So abilities is what are you good at? What do you, what do you bring to the table? What do you, what are you good at, Emily? Like what would you say you show, how do you show up well for your community? You have an amazing home so you're great at hosting. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll share them for you. So okay. I think it, so abilities, I think you're an incredibly warm person. You make everyone feel so welcome. So I think that's an ability. You make people feel warm and invited and welcome. One of your abilities also is gathering. You love opening your home to anyone. Literally it could be like the mailman and you're like, come on in. And you're so inviting and inclusive with the people that you love and you care about. Hopefully it's the mailman. Um, <laughs> and and I, so, so I think so, so those are just two ex- small examples, right? Yeah. But you also have so many other abilities. Maybe you cook, maybe dance, you dance, maybe teaching, you teaching ceremony. Maybe, exactly. There's so many things. But as it relates to, I'm talking about just everyday people who are like, what am I good at? Like you, you could be good at taking out the trash. Yeah. You could be good at bringing good music to a space. Like spreadsheets. You can bring, like honestly, but, parties, uh, the, uh, you might not exactly. think, but every, like a really good yes. party might need like, okay, who's bringing the chips? Exactly. Who's doing the tacos? An operator, a party yeah, operator. Yeah, you need the operator. Right, right. Exactly. So like, what are you, so are you, are you organized? Can you organize the party? Like, right. So, so what are the, what are the things that you bring to the table as your abilities into your community? Mm. So not just in life, but specifically to your community. Yeah. For me, I'm, I love gathering people. I love hosting as well. I love, I love constantly creating fun, playful environments for people with new ideas, things like that. Right. So, so, so those are my abilities for my friends. And so when I think about, um, that constellation of things, everyone listening right now, like what are the things that you're good at? Really think about it. Like, how do you show up for your friends in the best way? How do you show up for your family, for your colleagues? Just like take a moment and meditate on that. Think about that. Right. But so let me use you as an example. You said, okay, great. I'm Emily, an individual. I'm a Broadway performer. I now want to go into meditation. I'm going to start my own community. I'm going to be fearless about it. I'm not going to fear rejection. I'm going to be fearless about it. I'm going to start doing meditation. I started meditating. It helped me from my hair falling out. It helped me from being more stressed. I want to offer this to other people. So let me put together a weekly or monthly, give it a cadence because community is built on cadence mm. that people can trust and count on. So every month I'm going to gather Ziva. I'm going to call it Ziva. Why did you call it Ziva? That's a Sanskrit word that means bliss. And it's a Hebrew name that means one who is radiant or kind. Okay, great. So beautiful. So bliss, give it a radiance, name kindness. that makes you feel good. Yeah. Right? So everyone who's listening again, create a name that makes you feel excited to say the word. We used to do Ziva Lounge. Okay, great. So as you came up with Ziva, Ziva Lounge. Uh-huh. So every month you gather people to do these meditations. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And it was a party afterwards. And it was a party afterwards. Mm-hmm. Great. Fantastic. So then all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute, this is really resonating. Let me do it weekly. Let me do it monthly. Let me do it daily. Daily. Let me do it. Whatever. So you gave it a cadence. How often were you doing it? I at the time, to, I at used the beginning, to teach twice a month. Like I would run the whole Ziva course twice a month. Okay. Okay. Fine. Every so, two so, weeks. so every two weeks you would do this experience for your your. Was the original community. training? But like the Ziva Lounge was lounge. Like seasonal. Yeah, Ziva Lounge I mean. was quarterly. Seasonal. Okay. Great. So quarterly. So mm-hmm. again, your community knowing there's going to be a Ziva Lounge coming up gets them excited about this type of gathering, right? Mm-hmm. So, so give it a name. Give that makes you feel happy. Give it a cadence that you can do that's not going to be stressful in your own life. Yeah. Right. 
And then give yourself a little budget. So I want to put together $50. Um, $50 to buy refreshments. $50 to buy little glitter, little, little like I I, you know, I would put yellow gold stars on people. They're like little glitter stars, people's aside eyes that everyone felt like they were connected together at Daybreaker uh -huh. when they first came in. Or I did a stamp on their hand with the Daybreaker logo on it so people felt like they're part of the community. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and, and so that's a great example of something that might cost $5. No, it costs nothing. But creates. Creates a sense of belonging. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then create what I call entry and exit rituals. How do people enter the space? People remember how they enter and how they're greeted into a space. We have a hugging committee at Daybreaker. Mm -hmm. And how do they exit a space? How do they leave a space? Do they remember that too as their final touch point of the event or the experience or the gathering. So maybe they leave where everyone at Daybreaker right now, everyone reads a poem or an intention card out loud yeah. together as a final moment for the whole thousand person event, people to kind of have one vocal tone together. When you vocal tone together, you feel a sense of connection and belonging, yeah. right? So people remember how they enter and how they exit. And, and when was the last time you left a dance party where they didn't turn the lights on, you felt your, your makeup was dripping and you're oh. like, get me the fuck out of here. I look terrible. And the, and then there was no exit ritual. Just like, get out, you know? Yeah. Or you go to a concert and then the lights turn on and you're like, all right, I guess the concert's over. But what if every concert, every dance floor, every event, every meeting, every brunch, every dinner party, every anything had an entry and exit ritual. Yeah. How you left the space matters so much. Yeah. How you enter a space matters so much. So if you just took the time, cost nothing. How you exit the space and be like, how, can everyone, we're going to sing this song together. Can everyone hold hands? Can everyone, whatever, just like high five each other. Anything that you want to do, yeah. some way to end an event will make someone want to come back again because they just had that moment of like, oh, I can't wait for the next one, you know? Yeah, we used to do it at Ziva when people would graduate. We would tie something called a bliss bracelet. Great. And it was three colors because I would lecture about creation, maintenance, and destruction yes. in the Vedas. And it was literally like three strings, strings that I bought for like $1.97. And we just exactly. tied them. And we would tie them on each other. Or I would tie them on every person's wrist. I would have people come back nine months later, 10 months later. Emily, my bracelet fell off. I need to come back. Right. To, I came back to the group meditation because my bracelet fell off. Like it's a dollar. I mean, not like and so that's the other thing: mm -hmm. a physical totem in a digital world. Yes. So you want to have a physical totem. Mm -hmm. that, so we have an intention card that we print with a quote on it, and I have for. 10 years now, people come to me and they're like, I have every single card from Daybreaker New York. Uh, I've collected every single one of them. I have them in this folder, in a scrapbook, on my mirror at uh, home. I've created a, a mural of them. And people love to hold and touch and feel in a physical thing. We want to touch something yeah. and connection in this magic is digital ephemeral. world. Yes. And you're making magic, but it's ephemeral. Yes. So you're giving people a way something to remember, to remember that magic. by. And then of course, like digital photos just come and go in your, in your endless scroll of photo albums and your endless Facebook or Instagram feeds. Yeah. So to have a digital thing that you can just remi be reminded it's in your mirror at work or your, your, you know, on your, your, your home little altar, whatever it is, you have a little reminder of Ziva, that little bracelet, right, that you mm. gave to them. So those totems matter. So it's just little tricks yeah. and little opportunities that humans, this is who we are. Yeah, well, it's and ceremonial. It nothing. We're ceremonial. We're ritualized. Like ritual is so critical. It's why... It's why we love church for thousands of years. It's why we love the birthday song. It's, it's why we love breakfast, lunch, and dinner. These are all rituals. It's why we love chanting at a football game. It's why all these rituals make us feel like we belong to these sports teams and these universities, right? Mm. And these concert halls mm. with these artists. And so, so 
rituals are important. Entering exit rituals are important. Um, this is so helpful. You know, very like, simple stuff. Yeah. And I know you have all of this in your book, Belong. Um, and I know I want to, before we start to wrap it up, I want to just talk about your new nonprofit that you're working on because I know you're really excited yes. about this. And then I want you to share where people can find more and work with you because I know they're going to want to. Yes. So I started teaching about community building um, mm -hmm. through Belong Center to teach the next sort of generation of community builders. So if anyone wants to create their own community, uh, whether personally or professionally, um, I'm going to give you the roadmap for how to do that. That's, that's what kind of the teaching arm of Belong Center does. And then Belong Center as a whole organization, we, uh, our goals and loneliness, we just raised our first million dollars. We have what? an incredibly stacked board from Dr. Mark Hyman to Ping Fu to Dr. Dacher Kellner to Dr. James Pawelski, um, some of the most amazing thinkers in science of happiness and, and positive psychology and medicine and and um, healthcare and innovation. We have Lynn Twist is on my board as well. So an incredible, um, uh, Christiana Musk is on my board as well. So an amazingly stacked board um, who all deeply care about belonging and ending loneliness. Um, and and so I'm I'm just. And so what is my, so do? the goal of Belong Center is to create a network of ten thousand centers across the nation using borrowed office spaces after hours. So my invitation to each of you watching this or listening to this is to donate your office space to become Belong Centers to support your community and yourself. And we'll be training those office members, team members in the office as their CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, around a curriculum that I've developed around uh, being a Belong Center coach. It's a free um, opportunity to be able to then support those who come to the Belong Center to do an intake quiz. So Emily just moved to New York City. Okay, let me ask you 50 questions. As a Belong Center coach, I'll ask you 50 questions based on these answers of your values, your interests, your ability, where you are, who, who you are, you have your mother, yeah, all, all the tools, all the tools shared. that are shared. Uh -huh. I'm going to point you to 10 communities that I have in my database mm -hmm. that I'm going to introduce you to and make introductions to the, the group leader or the founder or the kind of the, the head of that community. Wow. So that immediately, wherever you are, whatever phase you are in life, if you want to leave your friends, you know, I'm done with my shitty shit-talking friends, I don't want to talk to them anymore, you come to the Blanc Center, you're like, I'm here to start fresh. Where do I begin? And then the Belong Center coach will then support you in pointing you to the right direction. Wow. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. It feels like a mycelium network. Yes. Like it feels like, oh, this thing is going to exactly. grow so far beyond what so, you could do individually. Exactly. And then so you can go to belongcenter.com or belongcenter.org um, to um, sign your office up to be an uh -huh. after hours Belong Center. And we're going to send you a kit with all these sort of like scents and lights and soundscapes and all these things to turn your office into a beautiful Belong Center. Oh, I love this. Yeah. And then we're Great. also working on a TV show as well cool. um, to teach America how to make friends. Teach America how to make friends. That's yeah. a great line. Whatever the TV show is called, that's a great line. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Thank so you. where can people find you? On I know you said belongcenter.org. Where else? Yeah, uh, daybreaker.com. Okay, if they want and to go to the sober morning dance party, which I highly recommend, oh, daybreaker.com. And then and I then um, on Instagram, love.rada. Love.rada. Um, and then um, and then I, I do all kinds of speaking and teaching um, and workshops. Um, you can find me at radaagarwal.com. Amazing. Rada, yeah. I love you so <laughs> much. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for making me feel like I belong. Thank you for the tireless work that you put into creating community everywhere that you go. 
we we didn't even talk about like four of the other communities. Like you're starting a secret social club here in Soho, like a couple blocks away, and it didn't even make the interview. <laughs> You've literally been birthing a whole new social movement in New York City, and you're creating at such a fast rate that we didn't even fit it into the interview. <laughs> like that is the depth with which you are making magic. And so truly, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. I know that people listening to this are going to feel so inspired to start to create community and prioritize friendships. So sweet friends, thank you for listening. I hope that you are as inspired to end loneliness as I am. I hope that you are inspired to prioritize your fun, your friendships because of the magic of Radha Agrawal. If you are enjoying this and if you want to get mini masterclasses from these amazing guests, you can join me over at zivameditation.com slash why this. And if you have enjoyed this media as medicine, then my request to you is to rate the show, review the show. You can always screenshot this and then post us. You can tag love.rada and at Ziva Meditation. And I will see you next week for why isn't everyone doing this? I love you.